Welcome back to the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau's Alumni Spotlight Series. Today, my guest is Pam Yacoub, who's currently working as a judicial law clerk for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me. To start, why don't you introduce yourself with your name, your graduation, and then your current job? My name is Pam Yacoub. I graduated from HLS in 2017, and I'm currently clerking for Judge Jane Kelly on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and last year I clerked for Judge Chang in Chicago in the Northern District of Illinois, and before that I worked at a firm for a couple years. So having done now a clerkship at the district court level and now at the Court of Appeals, can you tell me a little bit about your everyday clerkship duties and how it varies from the different tiers of the court system? Oh, sure. Um, you know, I think my district court experience is probably not representative of most uh, district court clerkships. I think um, Judge Chang sort of unusually insulates his clerks from a lot of the administrative um, docket tracking uh, routine, like discovery motion work. And so we really only worked on substantive, like dispositive motions, like motions to dismiss, um, motions for summary judgment, um, motions to suppress. So it wasn't as sort of hectic as many people might describe their district court clerkships to be. Um, I think generally they're maybe a little bit busier. And I think people commonly describe appellate clerkships as being a little bit more chill. Um, but I've, in my case, that's actually been the opposite. Um, the Eighth Circuit hears appeals from something like 14 district courts. It's really, really busy. And I happen to be clerking for a judge who also dissents a lot. And um, she requires, you know, bench memos for every case. So we have a really, really big um, workload, and it's been super busy. Um, but I really love it. So, so I'd say, you know, if people are applying for clerkships, um, you know, the general perception may not always be accurate, um, and and people should really look into the specific judge or specific court to find out. And speaking of applying to clerkships, do you have any advice or tips for someone who may be applying with what may be average grades or grades that they're not sure where they're competitive and, and that, you know, Harvard might be less help with? Yeah. Um, so to give you a little bit of context, um, my grades at HLS were mostly P's. Um, I got, like, I got an H in CRIM and 1L and then my, and then maybe one or two other, um, including, like, the HLAB seminar. Um, so I was definitely one of those, you know, I didn't have any Latin honors or anything like that. And I think um, when I went to OCS, they told me, um, you know, you really have to apply, you know, super wide geography. Um, you know, you probably won't get an appellate clerkship, um, da 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 OCS definitely caters to a different group of students. Um, and while we should, you know, use the resources that they give, you know, such as resume review or cover letter review, that was definitely helpful. Um, I definitely don't think that advice should be, their other advice should be sort of taken to heart. 
I definitely think people have a shot everywhere and just because you have P's or even LP's um, doesn't mean you can't get a clerkship. Um, it's definitely possible. You go to Harvard, uh, you definitely have a shot everywhere. So that, that can't be understated. OCS was not entirely wrong in that some geographic flexibility is helpful. I, you know, I think I applied mostly in the Midwest because that's, that's where I'm from. Um, I immigrated from Lebanon and we eventually settled in Detroit. So I wanted to stay in the Midwest. Um, that said, you know, it's definitely competitive. So my advice is to personalize your cover letters. I think um, OCS suggests, you know, more of a bare bones cover letter, but from my personal experience and also from talking to several judges um, who, by the way, are human and definitely want to know, you know, why you like them and why you want to clerk for them, I think it really helps to personalize your cover letter. Um, and by that I mean sort of explain a little bit why you're particularly interested in that judge or that court or that city. Um, I think that can be really compelling, especially for, you know, public interest-minded judges. I think you can save yourself a lot of trouble by actually not just submitting a million applications nationwide. I did a lot of research on who I thought I could get along with, um, and that I think that pays off um, because otherwise you're just it's, it's exhausting to to submit so many, um, and this way you're giving yourself the best shot. And in doing that research, I mean you can use the simplicity system. There's the HLS like clerks list, um, and I've definitely reached out to people that I've never spoken to before. Thank you so much for being so candid with your experience. This is something that not a lot of people talk about, and I think you're right that yeah. OCS may be more helpful to a certain demographic, and this goes for getting a job in big law, public interest with OPIA, is that they're often not as broad, and they're often a little bit more conservative, especially if you don't have grades that they think fit into certain categories, they might sway you away from applying. Yeah. I mean, you would think their incentive to have as many HLS people clerk as possible would also motivate them to actually help everybody, um, but it seems like they really only maintain relationships with, you know, so-called feeder judges. Honestly, that, that means very little, um, and ultimately, I think it is less important to get you know, a clerkship at all than it is to get a clerkship with somebody who is going to be a mentor for you. Um, Something else that, yeah. that you spoke about is you were an associate um, at Jones Day, which is a big law firm. And how was that experience? Did you have any difficulties in choosing between a job at a law firm and public interest? What sort of considerations went into that for you? It was definitely um, and continues to be um, a big question for me, um, as I mentioned before, uh, my family immigrated to the U.S. from Lebanon, and I was um, seven when we came here, and we were uh, low income, as I think is true for many people who go to law school. Uh, I wanted to go to law school to do public interest type work, um, but then you're sort of presented with this, you know, incredibly easy, well-facilitated path once you're at Harvard to big law. And I think I definitely felt, you know, I, I had a certain responsibility um, and I couldn't just go pursue my own um, ambitions and interests when 
you know, I could be doing something that is prestigious and that could help my family. When you have no background in the, like, legal profession at all, um, it's just really, that whole experience is really difficult. I mean, some people come into law school knowing the names of these law firms, and, you know, I don't think I heard of most of them until OCI. Now, of course, I think, you know, Jones Day has gotten a lot of negative publicity, which I can't go into because of my clerkship. Um, at the time, though, I I made my decision based on sort of who treated me the nicest during the interview process. For me, why I ended up choosing Jones Day is because people there sort of remembered who I was, like were really nice to me, treated me like much more like an individual um, and sort of at every level, even in, you know, the head of the office um, treated me like that. And so I felt like that was that was a difference. Um, and, and it was. I mean, in Chicago, the people there are really, really nice, really great. Um, ultimately, though, I think while that kind of human component is important, what I neglected to consider was sort of how work is structured, how assignments are given out, what kind of opportunities you get for professional development. I'm definitely leaning more towards a public interest position after my clerkship. I can definitely relate. I come from an immigrant family who's very low income. The compensation, that's the number that my family's never seen before. And and I think yeah, a lot exactly. of students can, can relate to that. How do you deal with the pressures that may arise in, in big law? Definitely not easy. As I, you know, I sometimes describe it as sort of Stockholm syndrome. At the beginning, I was very much sort of excited for the work. It was definitely, you know, less mentally exhausting than family DV work at HLAB. But then I think what's actually very difficult about it is you know, big law is a very hierarchical structure. Sure, you might be given some substantive work, but you're still sort of seen as bottom of the ladder. And not only that, but if you're public interest minded, the work is also not that meaningful. At a certain point, it just felt like, you know, you have very little value. Um, and that was certainly detrimental to my mental health. Um, but I think if you know that you're not going to stay in big law forever, guard your yes with your life, which is uh, something that an ADHD activist does. Protect your time. Work to impress really only the people that you might want to use for reference later on. Don't get caught up in all of the, you know, you have to do this or else people will look down on you. You have to stay like past seven. If you leave at five, people will look like it doesn't matter. You, you speak about having imposter syndrome during the clerkship application process and at Harvard Law School, and I think that's the feeling that most people can relate to, uh, especially with all of the noise at Harvard about what people are doing after graduation or during EIP where people got hired. How did you navigate that process? Just to go back a little bit to sort of one all year. Um, this was something my co-clerks and I were discussing recently, is that I think for many of us who come from low-income backgrounds, um, sort of we arrive at law school and there's all of these people who seem to know like many of the terms and the concepts and, you know, both substantively and in terms of, you know, careers in the law. And so, you know, you're in class and as those people are able to sort of engage right away and the substance of the issues, you're still trying to learn, like, the basics, like, you know, the, that there's a criminal versus civil system, like, what a tort is, and you can't really get into that substance right away. And so, 
I, I don't think I realized this at the time, but in hindsight, I think that was one of the things that made me feel like maybe I, you know, wasn't smart enough to clerk because there were all these people who seemed to just get it. And, you know, it took me a long time to be able to engage in legal issues on a more, like, theoretical, substantive level. Um, and that definitely, like, impacted my confidence and how I see myself. Um, but, of course, like, none of that means anything. We are definitely capable of doing all of that. Just because sometimes it might take a little bit more time does not mean that somebody else, you know, is just can excel more in a clerkship. Um, that's certainly not true. Um, and so I really think that however you may feel about yourself, um, you owe it to yourself to apply for what you want anyway. Like, if you don't get it, whatever. Status quo, nothing changes. Um, but I always say, like, we should always, always go for it. Um, and, and you never know what happens, which, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by that. Um, and now I've definitely seen, you know, I, I, I am capable of, doing everything that a law clerk should be able to do. Um, and not only that, but I found that I actually really enjoy it. And I, I never thought that I, you know, could be as joyful as I am actually sometimes, sort of just sitting here researching, writing. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. You also mentioned ADHD and dealing with that. Can you speak a little bit about that? Mental health generally is not discussed that much. I was diagnosed with ADHD in law school. I think I finally realized that, like, my inability to sort of focus more than five minutes on a single page of a casebook was really detrimental. I sort of always had issues like that, you know, would just stay up really late and eventually finish um, and sort of had ways of compensating. But in law school, amount of work was so much more than anything I'd seen before that it just really just wasn't possible to, to deal with it anymore. Not that I was, like, dealing with it in any healthy way before, but it was at least, you know, doable. We're at a certain point now where we might be privileged enough to access um, mental health care. I certainly never had access to it before. Coming from both an immigrant family that does not totally believe in mental health issues or treatment and also, you know, being under the mercy of Medicaid, um, it definitely just wasn't an option. Then I feel like my diagnosis has been a blessing um, and definitely a privilege. I think it's really important that we try to spread awareness and overcome the stigma because it does not mean what everybody thinks it means. I think a lot of people say, oh, like Ritalin, Adderall, you're just trying to get a pass. But the thing is, for people who actually have ADHD, your brain chemistry is simply different. Um, it doesn't give you an edge. It just allows your brain to work the way that your peers does. Really, I think the question with ADHD is not how successful you are, because I think a lot of people say, oh, well, you can't possibly have ADHD if you're successful. Um, but that's another misconception. The real issue is how much extra work, how much extra struggle do you have to go through to compensate for your symptoms? Like, how much later do you have to stay up at night to finish something that your colleagues might finish in a couple hours. There's a lot that goes into it. And symptoms for women also often look very different and due to sort of pervasive sexism in the medical community. Those differences are not very well understood. So that's another barrier to, to women being diagnosed. And of course, add on top of that, for women of color and 
and especially um, black women, you know, those problems are exacerbated. Yes, there's a lot of stigma, um, and yes, it's difficult to get diagnosed, but I think to the extent that we can talk about it, to the extent that we can seek treatment, um, we definitely should. Thank you so much for sharing that and raising awareness for that issue. I think it's an extremely important thing, and especially to destigmatize and have these conversations. I really appreciate you being so generous with your personal experience yeah. and, and offering help. I'm so glad. And thank you for doing this. I mean, I love HLAB. I love my experience there. It was, you know, one of the only things that made me happy in law school. Um, and I'm just eternally grateful. It, you know, joining HLAB is still, I think, the single best decision I made for myself. Um, and really, I think everything that I talked about today came from conversations I had in HLAB. Um, I sort of became comfortable with my, became comfortable seeking an ADHD diagnosis and with my diagnosis afterwards because of uh, the support of a friend in HLAB. My awareness of big law and how the role that it plays in systemic injustice definitely came from HLAB. I think, you know, it's really important that, you know, if people do decide to join a firm, um, I definitely think, you know, especially if you're low income, it is a valid choice. I don't think it's fair for anybody to judge um, what you feel you have to do to support your family. It is a valid choice. But I think simultaneously, and this is something I learned through HLAB because I, I just was not thinking about it clearly or properly. Um, simultaneously, I think we also have to acknowledge that just because we might do pro bono work at the firm is not really outweighing in any way the harm that comes from you know potentially working there. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And please feel free to let everybody know um, if anybody wants to talk further about anything, I am always, always available.